the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church right here in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 10.10. And today we are wrapping up this series called Do-Over with a message called A Relational Do-Over. You wish that you could have a do-over on a relationship. Well, you probably can't. It has to do with something called forgiveness, asking for it or giving it. If you have a Bible nearby, follow along with Pastor Sean. This is Real Life Radio. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to begin at verse 21. As Darna told you, this is the final message in our do-over series. We've had great feedback about people really taking God up on the truth that he wants to give us a do-over. We have all, all as kids, loved do-overs. You mess something up, you just call do-over and you get to do it again. But as adults, we think, hey, that's over. That's kid stuff. Well, what we discovered in our first message of the series, because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, because of his resurrection, you really can have a do-over. He wants to give you a first start. In fact, there's a scripture that says if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. It's the ultimate do-over. But we've seen that there are certain areas of our life where that can specifically apply. We've seen when I mess things up, that do-over begins with a thirsty heart. If I am hungry for something different, remember we looked at Zacchaeus and we saw a thirsty heart. What thirst has God put in your heart that you're willing to say, Lord, I want to trust you for a do-over? We saw that God wants to give us a new vision. And this one was very serious. And they, they all obviously were. But in my heart, I just had a sense. There's a lot of people in this fellowship who need a new vision. God wants to give you a do-over when it comes to your life vision. And we saw new vision begins with a new name. Who I am in Christ. My identity. And last week, remember, we talked about a financial do-over. And we said, we don't need a new plan, we need a new provider. And there's a lot of people who are being derailed and damaged because of finances. And that's one of the biggest dings on your vision for your life. You feel trapped and you need to walk to a place where you say, God, you're my provider. And begin to follow his principles and see him give you a financial do-over. We looked at four choices that will set you free. Today I want to look at a relational do-over. But I want to look at it from a different perspective than we have in some recent messages. In the Help My Family is Weird series, you remember that series we did in February? We did a message on healthy relationships or healing relationships, relational healing. And we really talked about our own wounds, how we've been wounded and how God wants to set us free from that, how to process that. If that's where you are today, I encourage you, go online to reallife.org and go into the sermons link and check that message out. Because I'm going to take a little different approach today. I want to talk about that a little bit, but what I really want to talk about is kind of go a level deeper on how we can be people who are catalysts for relational do-over. In Matthew 18, what has happened before the verses we're going to read is you remember Jesus talked about in the body when someone sins, how do we handle it? 
Oh, of course, we know how to handle it. If someone sins, we talk about them behind their back. That's how we handle it, right? No, that is not. That is called sin. And that is a, I, 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 you know, all kidding aside, that's a deep and dangerous and dark and all kinds of other D words that I could think of. Sin. It really is. Because it's a sin not only against our own conscience and against the Lord, it's a sin against the body. And we're never to gossip about another brother or sister. That's, that's brokenness, or about anyone, really. When there is sin, the Scripture says, go to that person and try to restore them. Go in humility and restore them. If they won't listen to you, Matthew 18, Jesus said, take someone else, take a brother or sister, another friend. Maybe they'll listen to two or three of you. Kind of a little biblical intervention, really, is what the Bible is describing. And if they won't do that, it says, take them to the church. And by that, I don't think it means every member in the church. I think it... it the biblical context is bring it to the leaders and let the leaders bring correction and it says if they won't listen to the church the leadership then treat them as an unbeliever and you know different churches have interpreted that different ways expel them from the church things like that um and how you deal with membership how we deal with membership we have it's only happened one time in our history had someone who we had to remove from membership because they simply refused to stop causing damage in the body of Christ. And for the sake of the body, we had to do that. But really, when Jesus says treat them like unbelievers, it's really saying you have to recognize this person is not going to listen. They are committed to living a life of sin, not to a life of following Jesus. So treat them as an unbeliever. How do we treat unbelievers? Well, we treat unbelievers as people we want to love and care for and help come to see Christ. But Jesus is saying it's different than how you see it a brother or a sister in the body. Well, so Peter now is going to ask for some clarification about that because that's a really challenging thing. And in verse 21, we read, Peter came to Jesus and asked, well, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you have to understand the context of this. This is a question that would have been asked. There's been a lot of writing about this whole idea of how many times you forgive. In the rabbinical writings... The, ta- the Talmud, you see a consensus idea of three times. If someone keeps sinning, forgive them three times, and then at a certain point you need to go, okay, this isn't getting better, so I'm going to stop now. Peter's going to be overly gracious. He's hung around Jesus enough to know Jesus is really gracious to sinners, right? So Peter's going to blow Jesus out of the water with his magnanimous response. How many times should I forgive? Up to seven times, Jesus? And Jesus' response is I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Another translation says seven times 70. The best translation is probably 77 times. And Jesus is not kind of saying, well, no, no, Peter, let me see. Actually, I figured it is 77 times. Jesus is blowing Peter out of the water. And Peter was trying to blow Jesus out of the water with seven because the consensus, the the common thought was three times, and then you can walk away. Then you can stop. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, not seven times. Peter, 77 times. In other words, Jesus was being ridiculous. He's saying, Peter, stop counting. He's saying, here's the deal, Peter. If you're counting, all you're doing is trying to wait, counting up the times until you can legally be unforgiving. That's really what you're wanting to do. You're moving to the point of legal unforgiveness. Now, it's okay for me to be unforgiving. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's, we're, we don't get to that point. And he answers them with this story. He says 77 times. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, in other words, this new system we're working in, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. And Jesus is being really kind of inflammatory here. This guy owed a ridiculous amount we can't even relate to. 10,000 bags of gold. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, which was justice under their system. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a much more realistic and minuscule debt. He owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed that servant and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Notice how Jesus is using the exact same language. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. That's Jesus' response to Peter's question. Seven times? No, Peter, 77 times. Or seven times 70. Or Peter, until you can't count anymore. And then he tells them that story. Now, we read this story, and we focus on the injustice. Really, we identify with the other servants because in the outrage that they had. Because we're like, how could this guy be such a jerk? I want to say that wasn't Jesus' primary focus. He, remember, he was addressing Peter's question regarding the limits of forgiveness. He answers Peter with a question. And the question really is, how could a person who's been forgiven so much be so unaffected? What's wrong in that guy's heart? That he's been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and he can't find forgiveness for someone for 100 pieces of silver. How could he be so unaffected? How could he not be different from that experience of forgiveness? I want to suggest to you, if you're into counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're as clueless as that unforgiving servant, according to Jesus. If I'm into counting, I'm as clueless as that unforgiving servant, according to Jesus. And that, of course, brings us to the theological elephant in the room that Jesus just dropped on us, this theological problem, when he says, this is how my Father will treat each of you unless you forgive. Because we're like, well, does that mean we're, we, we have to earn our forgiveness? I thought it was free. I thought God forgave it. What does that mean? And actually, Jesus said this kind of plainly when he taught the Lord's Prayer. You remember Matthew chapter 6? Beginning at verse 12, he said, he was saying in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts or our sins, our, our sins against others, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says this, 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is that a way of saying we have to earn our salvation by being really good and forgiving? I want to suggest you no, it's not. I think this story that Jesus told is really giving us the picture of what he means in Matthew 6. If you're not forgiving, something's broken in your heart. Forgiveness should change you. And if it doesn't, I want to suggest we're missing something. See, there's only one condition biblically for forgiveness. It's repentance. And I want to suggest if we are walking around and we refuse to forgive anyone else, something is missing. And it suggests that we may not have any sense of repentance, and we may not even be open or receptive to the forgiveness of Father. Could we by this be stiff-arming forgiveness by misunderstanding what's really going on? We want to take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio in this final message in the series called Do-Over. If you'd like to hear the full unedited message or do a do-over on this series, it's available right now as a free download at the River City website called reallife.org. Just look for the sermon link. And if you think you'd like to visit River City Community Church, well, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Welcome back as we conclude this message called A Relational Do-Over. This is Real Life Radio. In Paul's letters, he uses a common phrase, uses it a number of different times at the the beginning of almost all of his letters. It's really, I want to suggest to you the gospel in a phrase. Listen, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and 3. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he says this, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Paul's regular salutation. Grace and peace. And I want to suggest that's more than just a nice thought and just a cool kind of way to say it or he sounds kind of neat saying it. He is giving us something very powerful there. Grace and peace. That is the core of the gospel in one phrase. The word grace is the word charis. It means goodwill, loving, kindness, and favor. It's been defined by theologians. Grace is the absolutely free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God. Grace is just God pouring out his love when we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it, but God gives it. It's grace. Peace is arene, and it means, and peace, this word, is so much more than just our kind of concept of peace, the absence of conflict. Peace is joy, pleasure, blessing, every kind of good, all things as they should be. 
In the New Testament, there's one instance where this word is used in future tense. Every other use is about us today. Us experiencing the reality of peace right here, right now. Understand, many of these letters Paul wrote, he's in prison, he's being deprived, he's being beaten, and he's still describing joy, pleasure, every kind of good to you right now. The Hebrew concept of peace is wrapped up in this word shalom. And it's almost, when you say shalom, it's like the, it's a, a tangible, palpable kind of, I, I don't want to use the word aura, but a, a canopy of peace be upon you that can only come from God. To this day, the phrase, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the making of all things right, things as they should be. Peace, restoration of relationship, rest, a tangible, palpable condition. I want us to look at the obvious relational context and understanding of peace you see it's the whole point peace with god and peace with one another jesus said most important thing love god second is love your neighbor things that are right and as they are meant to be and when we start talking about a relational do-over what we're talking about is peace the secret to a relational do-over is found in the simplicity of the gospel it's summed up in paul's frequent salutation grace and peace if you're taking notes, I really want you to write this down because I want you to remember this. This is so, it's a simple thing, but it will, I think it'll give you clarity and understanding of the gospel. Paul wasn't just saying something, he was giving us the gospel in a phrase. And what I want us to know this morning is when it comes to relational do-over, peace is our destination. But grace is how we get there. Do you understand that? Peace is our destination. But grace is how we get there. Peace was God's design all along. Man had sinned against God. It put a wall of separation, a barrier. He'd rejected God. God's whole agenda was fellowship and communion, peace with us, and that we would have peace with one another. Sin was the problem. And so he sends Jesus Christ, pays our death penalty on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so God's spirit could be in us. The whole point is peace. But the, the way we get there, the mode of transportation, the vehicle, to peace is grace. And thereby it is the secret to relational do-over, to becoming a person who is a catalyst of peace. John 1, 17 says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I think we get truth. We understand right and wrong. Not that we understand it perfectly, mind you, but we kind of have that. We all have our own idea of right and wrong and truth. The grace part, I don't think that we get. And I want you to notice when John told us that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, grace is listed first. Grace is listed first. We sometimes say, well, I'm more of a person of grace. No, I'm more a person of truth. Yeah, Jesus Christ was 100% on both. And wherever we fall in that natural tendency, it doesn't matter. We're called to be people of truth, but also people of grace. Grace shouldn't be hard for those who are forgiven. That's what Jesus is trying to tell Peter in Matthew 18. That's what that story was all about. Grace shouldn't be hard for people who've been forgiven so much. A few ways to kind of cultivate grace, which is really obviously the whole point. First, number one, take stock of how much you've been forgiven. You want to become a person of grace? If you find it hard to give grace, you need to start taking stock of how much 
you've been forgiven. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I just show of hands, are there any perfect people in the room? If so, I'd like to know who you are. Per- the perfect people, you've never sinned, you've never offended, you didn't offend God, you haven't offended anybody. So anybody, anyone, anyone, Bueller, anyone? Old reference, sorry, that, was, that shows my age. I mean, that's important. Because if you don't think you need to be forgiven, if you're like, I haven't done anything wrong. Okay, first of all, this isn't the church for you. Okay, because we're not a church of perfect people. We're a church full of imperfect people. If you're looking for a church of perfect people, you need to go out and find them. And when you do, by the way, be careful because you're going to screw it up because you're kidding yourself. You are not perfect. I mean, I think this is really important. And this is the beginning. This is what Jesus is telling the story. You've got to take stock of how much you've been forgiven and you'll be amazed at how it changes you and kind of makes you start leaning into grace a little bit. We often take stock of how much we've been offended. We have a list and we know who's offended and we know how much they've done and we got that list. I want to suggest you get rid of that list and start building a new list. How about a list of how much you've been forgiven? First by God the grace that's been poured out freely, justified, the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you realize how much you've been forgiven? Forgotten forgiveness is a lethal grace killer. Forgotten forgiveness is a lethal grace killer. It will, it will kill. If you stop being aware of of what the master did for you when he forgave your debt freely, you're gonna become a person who starts judging, pointing the finger, keeping a list of wrongs, keeping, a tr- keeping track of the debt that everybody owes you. And you'll begin to leave a trail of broken relationships. You want relational do-over? Become a person of grace. And one way to do that is start taking stock of how much you've been forgiven. Don't only recognize how much you've been forgiven, realize how fully you're forgiven. Do you realize how fully you are forgiven? I mean, remember a few weeks ago we talked about kind of formal forgiveness. Well, I'm a Christian, so I should forgive you. I have to. The Bible says so. So I forgive you. But I really don't. Because if you do it again, I will remember and I will remind you. I will bring it up and I will tell you all about it. God's forgiveness is very different. You know that, right? You know, and, and some of you are sitting here, well, I know the little things God forgive, but I've done some big things. And there's so many people in our lives who don't want it. They, they don't think they can come near. They won't come to church with you. They won't participate with you they, because they think, I gotta get cleaned up because God can't deal with it. <laughs> you don't know our God. You don't know how big his grace is. You don't know how amazing his grace is. You gotta understand how fully you're forgiven. It's one of those things where when we, you know, kind of ask God forgiveness, we're broken. We ask him for forgiveness. We feel his forgiveness. We're free. But then, a few days later, something happens, and we go, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I did it again. Or, God, I, you know, you remember when I did that before? And God's like, I'm sorry, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. No, you know what, what, what I did, because I always do this. Um, I'm sorry, you asked me to forgive you of that, and I do it all the way. There's this biblical phrase, the sea of forgetfulness. I like that. It says he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and I've never measured that, but that's really, really far. You need to know how fully you're forgiven, how completely, and you need, you, you just remember, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It'll make you a person of grace. 
Peace is our destination. Grace is how we get there. Second, we need to learn to walk in the confidence of Father's love. That story that Jesus told, that master, when he had compassion on that servant, he did what he did out of love. That master was obviously, in the story, a picture or a type of God our Father. We need to begin to walk in the confidence of Father's love. You need to know how loved you are. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't have to get cleaned up first. Didn't have to start being good to get God's attention. When we were sinners, when we were broken, when we were hopeless, he just loved us. And you need to know how much he loves you. God's love is crazy sloppy. You, as much as you love your kids, as much as anyone possibly could love, God loves way more than that. You need to know you get up in the morning and God's like, oh good, I'd love to spend some time with you. I just love you. I created you. I created you for a relationship and I love you. Yeah, but God, I'm like this. God's like, do you know I create? I made you? I made you. I know what you're like. And you're amazing. That's Father's heart towards you. You need to understand the reason for God's forgiveness, it's all motivated by his love. And I think if we would walk more fully in understanding his love, the love that was displayed on the cross, every time you see a cross, if you wear a cross necklace, I do for that reason. Every time I see the cross, I should be reminded, God loves me, like, a lot. I mean, it's more than sending a card, more than a phone call, more than taking me out for dinner. He came to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, and then died a sinner's death on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Um, yeah, that's crazy love. That's real. And what's beautiful is God has given us a reminder. And I want to take a moment in the service right now and be reminded of how much he loves us. That reminder is called the Lord's Supper. And Jesus told them, whenever you do this, remember me. In other words, you're supposed to be loved. I've got folks, these folks who are getting up are not offended by the Lord's Supper. They're actually going to serve us, okay? So thank you guys. Like, look at how mad these people are. They're leaving. <laughs> we thank you for staying with us. You've been listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro as River City Community Church shares communion. The series has been called Do Over, and if you'd like to hear the full unedited message all over again and this series, it's available right now for you for free when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. You can see all the details, directions, and service times, including the new Saturday night service. All the details again at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.